All right. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to 2021 and the first edition of this year of the Game Fishing Parks Podcast and Blast. I am your host, uh, fishing guide, if you will, uh, Chris Hull with Game Fishing Parks. And today I've got a longtime friend, but more importantly, a South Dakota Game Fishing Parks Commissioner, Russ Olson, on the phone with me. Russ, uh, Happy New Year, brother. Happy New Year to you too, pal. Uh, may you start off by saying you're a fishing guide. I have uh, yet to see that proven. Yeah, I, I'm a terrible fishing guide. I, I, I tried it when I moved to Pier and I broke too many rods and couldn't catch enough fish. So uh, it just didn't really work out. But uh, I guess I'm not a fishing guide. I'm your guide for entertainment and merriment and information in this instance, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring my own rods. You just show me where the <laughs> right. I, I told you the other day, man, that, that invitation is always open. Uh, I've got a, I've got, even got a, uh, like a seat, a special cushioned seat for you in the fish shack and I'll even let you sit by the heater. So, <laughs> although this year we haven't really needed it yet. So. No, it's been beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Russ, let's talk about, um, you're obviously on the commission, the GFP commission, but let's get some background for the folks. Um, I mean, I know these answers, but where, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? I grew up in Egan, South Dakota, uh, which is right along the banks of the Big Sioux River. And um, went to school with uh, 15 uh, and people, most of them from kindergarten all the way through graduation. What, uh, what was your class rank at the, end of the, at the end of high school, or shouldn't I ask that? I was definitely in the top 15. Awesome. Me too. Me too. Uh, and... Uh, Where'd you go to school? College. I went to the University of South Dakota. Uh, it was interesting because it, growing up in, in Egan, it seemed like my fellow classmates that weren't going on to the military or trade schools or anything like that were, you know, most likely to go over to uh, Dakota State College at the time. It wasn't a university yet, the teacher's college, and uh, get their undergraduates so they could uh, be educators and or coaches or whatnot. And, uh, and then the remaining handful would venture up north to SDSU. And you know what? I loved uh, growing up in Egan. I loved all the people that I went to school with, you know, K through 12. But it was time to venture out and do something a little different. So I uh, went down to USD and I found out uh, upon admission that the uh, head of admissions actually knew the last person from Egan that went there. And it had been like 17 years since anybody wow. had went to Egan from USD. So. So uh, it was it was interesting and uh, it was challenging too because you know small town kid never been more than twenty miles from home for an overnight and uh, uh, but it re it really kind of helped you know the friends I made down there and the and the life choices I made down there kind of set me up for the person I am today I think right and uh, what'd you get a degree in uh, my undergraduate was English and political science I had a double major and uh, you know unless you are picked up uh, by some law school or marry into money, that's not a great degree unless you're going to go into education. So <laughs> I went back and uh, got my master's in public administration. Right. Did uh, Did you know I was an English major with a poli-sci minor at USD? I, I can tell by, by your use of dangling participles. Yes, there. yes, yes. The, the bedeviled dangling participles. So what are you doing now, Russ? How do you make your, make your uh, living? Uh, I've been fortunate for 16 years now. I've worked for Heartland Consumers Power District, and we're an energy company that sells electricity to municipals in South Dakota, Minnesota, and Iowa, and Nebraska. And um, for the last eight years, I've had the excellent fortune of being the CEO. Yeah. And full disclosure, Russ and I have known each other a long time, and we actually even worked together for a short period of time. I don't know how much work, but we, we were employed at the same, in the same building, if you will. So it was a, it was great working for uh city of South Dakota and, and economic development is still one of my big passions today. Helping small communities grow is, is really important. So, uh, Russ, what you got for family? Uh, my wife, Jenny, and I actually met down at USD, uh, even though she wasn't patient enough to marry me right away. Uh, uh, we have uh, four children. We have Ben, who's 22, uh, and we have Anna, who's 20, and she goes to Grand Canyon University. 
And then we have Victoria, who's 19, and she's a sophomore at USD. And then bringing up the rear, we've got Gordon, who's a fifth grader at Madison Elementary. He just couldn't handle, like, the thought of being an empty nest, so you had to bring Gordon along, huh? Actually, out of all four of them, he was the only one that was planned. <laughs> right on. Um, let's just talk about now we got your personal background stuff. Um, you know, to have have the position that you've got with the commission, you've obviously got to have some passion with hunting, fishing, being outdoors and stuff. Where'd you cut your teeth, um, you know, hunting, fishing, you know, some of that stuff? How'd you, how'd you get started? Well, my mom and dad and my grandparents before them owned the bar in Egan. And so uh, it was always interesting to me to to see the uh, locals, you know, how they'd go out and, and some of them would walk the railroad tracks uh, for pheasants and some would drive around with a six pack of beer, quite frankly, and shoot pheasants when, when there was pheasants everywhere in Woody County and, and hunting and fishing. You know, as I said, I grew Egan's right along the banks of the Big Sioux River. And I've always just loved that body of water. And, and so uh, we, we'd fish down there and, you know, for, this is probably before, you know, there was a, really a good population of, of walleye or any other type of sport fish in there. You'd catch bullheads and catfish right. and carp, occasionally in northern. But we'd always, you know, fish in the evenings for uh, catfish. And, and during the day, you'd just throw a line out and see what you could get. But, uh, you know, the Big Sioux was kind of the stomping grounds. Fishing uh, for walleyes throughout college up at the Flander Dam was always fun. And and uh, still love to see that uh that river system do well. Right. It, it's funny, you know, I had some similar memories from up in the Northeast and you talk about fishing, whatever would bite. I remember like fishing on Lake Travers and the first time I caught a walleye, man, I thought I was Babe Winkleman and Virgil Ward combined. You know, it just those memories of like catching those first like game fish, like a Northern or something. And you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, that's, that's a whole nother step up. So yeah, I didn't spend as much time uh, in, when I was, like, my teenage years. I, I had a couple of younger cousins. Everybody in my family hunts and fishes. My my mom's side, she has, you know, five brothers, and, and they all were anglers and outdoor enthusiasts and still are. And uh, in my dad's side, same way, more on the on the uh, big game side of things with my dad's side. But, you know, my younger cousins, they, they were the ones actually that – really taught me how to fish. I had a couple of cousins, Josh and Todd, and those guys can catch fish in a bathtub. And and they would sit and jig, and I would try to do the exact same things as them and mimic their movements, and they would sit and catch walleye after walleye. And, and it took me a long time to catch up with them uh, on, on figuring that out. And I still don't get as much time on the water with those guys as I'd like, but still, you know, the best memories I've got are hunting and fishing with family. Yeah, that's, that's a good, good little segue. What's the first, if I'm going to ask you, your first favorite memories of being outdoors, what's one that just pops right into your head immediately? It seems like everybody's got one. Yeah, uh, dove hunting. Um, I, I remember when it was on the ballot. I remember people had bumper stickers, yeah. and, and every, the opposition was don't shoot the bird a piece and all of that, and I, I just couldn't get it. It seemed to me there was an abundance of them. They were everywhere, and then they, they leave in the wintertime, and they don't stick around anyway, so it's right. like, yeah. They aren't, isn't like they're somebody's pet, but right. uh, I, we would go, you know, because my parents had a bar, you know, this was before the, you didn't, you, you paid maybe with buying somebody a beer at the bar or a jug of whiskey or whatever to get access to somebody's land. But it was nothing for me to go just about anywhere and be able to hunt on somebody's land. And we would go just west of Egan and uh, surround this great big tree grove out at uh, uh, Buck Babcock's place. And uh, kids and, I mean, all generations from, you know, as old as you could carry a shotgun to old men would have their lawn chairs out there and just go through boxes and boxes right. of shells and come back into the roost at the night. And then, uh, you know, the old guys would sit around and drink beer and, and clean them, and we would act like we didn't know how and get out of cleanups. <laughs> Worked really well for me. But that's the first memory I've got of, 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 of actually hunting and, and being given a gun that I, you know, could control the 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 fate of a living creature with right what uh now that you're a fairly responsible adult um you've got one day or two days to go what's you, what are you going to do what are you going to hunt or what are you going to fish for oh god thing? it's really interesting chris because you know i've 
I've shot archery since I was eight years old and shot tournaments and everything as a kid growing up and I've loved bow hunting. I mean, bow hunting, I probably spend more hours in a tree than a lot of squirrels. <laughs> and the, uh, if you'd have told me, you know, 12 years ago that I would, uh, give up, uh, or, or put something ahead of archery as my favorite sport, I'd tell you that you're, you know, full of it, but I love turkey hunting. I, it just, it's the poor man's elk hunt. My good buddy Delon Moore calls it the poor man's elk hunt. And it really is. You don't have to have a lot of money to get into it. Uh, you know, a, a shotgun and, and some camouflage and a box call. And, and you can, you know, pretty much give yourself a, the, that equivalent of a poor man's elk hunt because when those things come gobbling in or, sneak in behind you and gobble and you don't even know they're there it's just like a a bull elk bugle and to me uh tricking those uh prehistoric looking birds is is my newfound uh passion i love taking kids and people that have never uh hunted them before it's always on my place i I've got a little bit of land, not a lot, but the rule is that a, a kid or somebody that's never shot a turkey before has to get one before anybody else in my family gets to start hunting for the year. So well, we really, really enjoy the turkeys. Cool. Yeah, it is it is weird because, you know, I grew up, my dad, we had these dogs and, and, and you know, we were duck hunters and we were pheasant hunters and, and we didn't get to hunt deer. And, uh, you know, we didn't really hunt turkeys. They weren't really around or at least enough that, any of us knew anything. Um, and now I go through and doing what I do and I have four dogs running around the house and stuff. You know, I'd think about it and I would, I, I would give up everything before I gave up ice fishing. So it's just weird how things kind of change and kind of move around. But, um, thinking about all your outdoor experiences and I know you've had a ton in South Dakota and, and you've been fortunate enough to go to a few places and, and, and shoot, uh, some big game and turkeys and stuff. Uh, what's your, you know, you think about your favorite outdoor memories and, and this, this answer always changes too, when I ask people, but, you know, I asked you about your first favorite memory. What's your, you know, you think about all the time you spent, what's the one thing, or maybe the one thing that just pops in your head and you're like, man, that was it. That's why I do this. Yeah, it's, it's for sure. It's an easy one for me. You know, we didn't have land. We had a bar we had lots of, uh, customers that had, and so it was, it was nice, but once, you know, you sell the bar and you're, you lose a little of that connection and, and, and times have changed as far as getting access. And I think that's something that, that we as a department are going to be working on getting better stewardship between, uh, the, uh, hunting community and, and landowners. So, we're, you know, public access isn't just, uh, land that the state of South Dakota owns. It, it's got to be, you know, that, uh, goodwill between, uh, sportsmen and, and landowners where they'll let you on. And I don't think that those days are gone. You, hear all the time the naysayers saying it's all going to be paid hunting from here on out but you know i bought just a little tiny bit of land uh, along the big sioux river about five years ago i got 10 acres and it to me it's heaven on earth i've, I've walked that ground since i was a little boy i've uh, fished and canoed by there with my relatives and and always kind of dreamed of having this little this little bend in the river and uh, from there i worked out a deal with uh, a landowner with the quarter the next over and he he was uh grazing letting somebody else graze cattle on it and they overgrazed it in my opinion and i just said i'll pay you you know uh whatever you're paying there that guy's paying you to raise cattle and i'm going to show you that that little chunk of land can hold deer and pheasants and turkeys and and here we are 10 12 years later into that deal and i've got just enough uh, land over there that we've got some decent food plots and stuff. And I started, uh, about six years ago, I think, uh, we changed, uh, we had started our fa first kind of family, uh, pheasant season opener. And we tried doing it on opening weekend, uh, and we were competing with, you know, 3,000 acres of corn. And you, it, where we're at, there's just not, the, the numbers of birds that you can just go out and do that. So we actually moved it. Now it's, it's the first Saturday of November until Christ comes back as our family <laughs> opened. And, and it was kind of first year, maybe we got six or seven and then we'd get eight or 10. And I think this year, you know, there was probably, God, there, there must've been 15 guns in the field and plus kids and, and uncles and aunts and everybody else. And, and I think we maybe got, like 17 or something like that it was it was like the the banner year for us and so 
we line them all up on this old granary and take a big family picture. And to me, that's that's why uh, I the hunting is important to me anymore is to get those young kids and my older uh, older relatives uh, engaged in in that one day of the year. If that's the only day that they do anything outside, that to me is is my Christmas. Right. So, and that that my next question was, what drives you to spend time outdoors? And I, I think you answered it. It's family and friends and, and tradition. Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, my uncles took me when I was a, a kid and my dad took me and, and, and I remember, you know, we'd line up uh, across these great big pastures, single file, and then walk them and hear fox out. And, you know, then the older guys with guns could, would shoot them. Right. And that was like a really young memory there too. And, and just, so I'm hoping that these family pheasant hunts uh, and taking these young kids to for the first time are those things that when they get to be a old 50 year old guy like me that they go oh yeah that was a great memory and i really appreciate my uncle russ or my dad for doing that for me yeah yeah that's cool i i just took four kids out ice fishing this last weekend and and uh, i was really you know oh my gosh this is going to be a lot of work kind of thing but my daughter who's 12 and who you know um you know, she's at the point now where she really took over and helped those kids who had never really ice fished. And I, I actually got to fish. Um, you know, she was running, showing them how to run the Vexilars and showing them the camera and baiting hooks and tying knots. And um, I, I just kind of looked and went, wow, this is actually finally working. You know, you've become a fisherwoman and she really has. And she's, she's a pretty good stick. She's a heck of an ice fisherman and she ties her own flies and stuff for us. But yeah, it was one of those things like, oh, that's why I do this. You know, like, yeah, that's, you know, the pride and everything. But it's like, no, I finally get to fish for myself again, too. So a little bit of selfishness there. But Yeah, well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I I really, you and I both know, I mean, watching somebody else land their, their biggest or their first fish or, or shoot their first turkey or deer uh, is nothing better. I mean, my 22-year-old son uh, this year that's never, ex- ever expressed any interest and shooting sports and i mean zero uh finally at the dinner table and i was like how come you always take gordon and you don't take me and i was like i don't want to say anything right now that's going to screw this up so i was just and uh my wife goes well would you want to go and he's like yeah i think so i like jerky and so (laughs) now we the everything was kind of locked up but thankfully you know it was too late to apply for a regular season and he's too old to have a mentor uh so luckily, the, you know, the Game Fish and Parks a couple years ago uh, come out with our apprentice uh, program where someone that hasn't had a license in the last 10 years or ever, uh, if they maybe they did when they were younger, they can get back into it with an apprentice uh, antlerless tag. Right. And so, uh, uh, you know, have my son fill out his own uh, profile on uh, the Game Fish and Parks' website. Uh, we applied for a, a apprentice tag and a couple days later, uh we got it in the mail and, and he was really happy about that. And, and the first day that we went out, uh, uh, we were crunching through the snow uh, before the sun come up to get into a round bale blind along the river. And uh, just as we got up to the blind, I put the gun up against it and, and the door kicks open. And there sits uh, my brother with his bow and arrow. <laughs> and he, we kind of screwed him up. He's been out there for about 45 minutes free. <laughs> And uh, we, um, you know, we left him there and we went down to the end of a, another grove of trees a couple hundred yards away and and uh, just told him, you know, hey, we're not leaving. So if you hear thunder, uh, that means Ben got his first deer. And sure as heck, you know, uh, 9.30 or so in the morning, uh, Ben had fired one shot, made a great shot. And I think we've got a deer hunter forever now. Right. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit, Russ, and, and get more official, I guess. Um, let's talk about the commission and your role and everything else. Um, how long have you been on the commission? Uh, four years now. Has it been four years? Yeah, it, it has. Uh, Governor Dugard appointed me in 2016, and it was really interesting because the day that uh, that the appointment was announced, uh, I was actually sitting in my tree stand on a really really cold day with my whites on and we just got a blizzard the day before and um the announcement was made that day or is going to be made that day and i shot the best buck that i had to date that 
same day. And while I'm dealing with this bucket, my phone keeps ringing and I look and it's Bob Mercer. And and I told him what I was doing. He goes, well, it's interesting because I'm calling to interview about the game fish parks thing. Send me a picture. And so I took a picture. I had the landowner take a picture of me and this deer. And that wound up being like the statewide headline uh, <laughs> deer and uh, about getting on the game fishing parks. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, so let's let's just briefly walk people through the process of how even getting appointed happens, Russ. I mean, it, you know, in your experience or, or in your knowledge. Yeah, well, you know, for for decades, uh, being on the Game Fish and Parks Commission was probably one of the more sought after sought after appointments, and it's appointed by the governor. And so I think that, you know, like like with the Transportation Commission or uh, the Ready Board or things like that, you know, area knowledge and, and to have some background in the related field is, is more than appreciated. But uh, you also have to have, I think, a little bit of business sense and things like that. It depends on which, which of the, the, they're appointing you to. But, you know, it was uh, interesting because uh, – that one of the governor's staffers had called me a couple times and, and I actually declined because I know the amount of work that goes into being a commissioner. I just said, you know, I just don't think that, you know, with this new job I've got, I've got the time for that right now. I've got my own stuff and, and I, I don't want to do something if I can't, you know, put the time and effort into it that it really needs. And I think on the, I think maybe he finally just had the governor call me and it's pretty hard to tell the governor no. And so, you know, their, their rationale was that, you know, they had a, you know, the, the commission has eight members and, and at the time there wasn't a, a, a lot of that group per se that hunted and fished on a regular basis or used the, uh, you know, the camping and boating aspects of it. And they wanted someone with that perspective uh, that kind of filled all the, the notches. So mm -hmm. there I am four years later still here. And I was fortunate enough, you know, here, uh, uh, last year, my term would have been up here in January, but Governor Nolan asked me to, to continue on. So, And then you have to get uh, appointed or approved by the Senate. Is that right? Yes, that's probably the most difficult part, especially when you used to serve with, right. with a bunch 30 of those folks. <laughs> that were holding, holding the confirmation hearings. But, yeah, that's, the Senate uh, does uh, approve, if you will, the advise and consent to all appointments that the governor makes to boards and commissions. What, uh, what's been your biggest surprise from being on the commission? Something maybe you didn't expect or. Well, I, you know, uh, as a, in the legislature, uh, for a number of years, and I've always kind of joked with people when they ask me a question similar to the one you just asked Chris, that what's my biggest surprise. And I thought that I got a lot of love letters uh, when I was in the Senate from people telling me art of a guy I was, but, but you don't realize until you start to mess with the way someone hunts or fishes or recreates, uh, how passionate they can get. And, uh, let's just say that the fires turn up a, a notch on some of these, uh, game issues, uh, from our, our sportsmen and women out there. And, and so that really surprised me that the level of, of candidness that some people use while communicating their opinion to you, uh, both in person and uh, via email. Right. Uh, former uh, GFP secretary Jeff Vonk told me one time, it's like, uh, he said, you should be glad that, that you're getting yelled at by constituents because uh, when they stop yelling at us, that's when we need to worry because then we have problems. So, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's something, you know, that, there's some of that complaining too. And, and when someone, you know, and I, and I don't mean complaining, but, you know, just recently, one of the, I think, good things that came out of the whole entire, um, you know, lockdown and the way we held our meetings with COVID, you know, Nancy Hilding just basically, did, you know, did put us on the table and said, you know, with all the technology out there right now, why is it that you can't have multiple locations where people can come and give, you know, testimony during the open forum or public comment period. Um, and instead of driving to whatever uh, remote and you're in for the day. And then so but as the guy that you know, that that has to set that all up with South Dakota public broadcasting and, and get all the audio visual and all of those things uh, clicking. It wasn't uh, 
it wasn't the easiest process to work through, but I think that it's given us a new level of accountability where people can, you know, come and testify uh, on an issue and be in Rapid City at one of our locations or be down in Sioux Falls or Brookings or Watertown while we're in Pierre or wherever we're at and, and drive all the way out there. So I think that's a good thing, and I think it will get nothing but better at it as we go along. Right, and plus it gives you an opportunity to laugh at me during meetings when something is not working. <laughs> Well, everything always goes smooth, so I'm just kind of holding <laughs> right. powder to tell you that. I, that think that I think that's the first lie you've told uh, since <laughs> we started. So, um, What's been, you know, we talked about surprises and stuff. What's been the most difficult part of being on the commission so far? Well, the most difficult position, or, uh, you know, when as an outdoorsman, and, and I'm self-proclaimed there because they always say, oh, you're an avid outdoorsman. Who defines that, really? You know, I mean, I say that I was the, you know, I spent more time afield than anyone that wasn't already getting a check for it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that comes back to haunt you when your wife reads that quote. So, right. you know, I think that, you know, as the kind of designated sportsman, and there are, there's different anglers and there's different hunters on the commission now, or more of them. We've always had people that enjoyed the outdoors but, uh, you know, for a while there, it seemed like I was the guy that kind of got targeted by different uh, outdoor groups. As, you know, hell, you're a sportsman. You know what this is. You know, and there's a difference between what you want to see happen as an outdoorsman and what needs to happen when you listen to the biological science that are uh, behind a lot of the decision making that we do. Your gut feeling may tell you, no, that's crazy. I would never do that as a sportsman. That's terribly wrong. We got to give more licenses out. And then when, you know, our biologists who I thoroughly believe in and 90% of the time will agree and vote uh, with their recommendations when they lay out, well, here's the reason why we do it that way. You kind of have a V8 moment and slap yourself on the forehead and say, Oh, well, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. How is it different? How's being on the commission different than you thought it would be when you first signed up? Um, I, I, I just, I'm so impressed with the staff, to be honest with you. I think that there's so much that goes on behind the scenes before uh, decisions are made and the, the actual, um, everything from the cadence that staff uses while addressing the commission and other members of the public at our meetings and in and, and correspondence to, you know, the, the, the way that we, you know, we'll hear proposals, take on proposals, put them out for public comment, and you let them stew and you let to watch people respond both uh, in favor and uh, against different proposals to watch all that. And then it all culminates to that day where we have to decide up or down whether or not we move forward or whether we amend. And I mean, the, the process is, is similar to that of a legislative process, but I believe there's so much more. Uh, ability for the citizens to take part in it than, than you do at a legislative level that uh, I'm really impressed with that. So why, why be on the commission? Why sign up? You're busy. I mean, you're, you're, you're a dad, you're a husband, you're on other boards. You've, you've got a job that um, keeps you hopping, you know, 20 hours a day. You want to be in a tree. Uh, why, why be on it? Why put yourself through um, some of this stuff? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, I think that, quite frankly, the the first year you just kind of sit there with your jaw open going, figuring it all out. And then you start to say, okay, well, I want to challenge this. I want to I see why we do it this way and, and why can't we provide more access here? Why are the program dollars not going to this? Uh, WPA versus that one and you know why aren't we doing more trails and you start to finally figure it out and, and luckily you know we're limited to two four-year terms and that's a good thing to, to have new blood and new ideas come in but about the time that you really you know get your feet dug in and you're ready to you think you got some things figured out uh, you know your term would be up so I, 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 well, I was very happy that the governor asked me to stick around there's a lot of things that uh, are left undone that we've got challenges coming up as as you're aware that uh, I think that y you may need somebody that has has been through similar arguments in the past or or we've can uh, can talk about why things did or didn't work and, and try to make them better I, I want to make it better and I've always said since I got on the commission that I want to you know, find a way to get more young people involved in the shooting sports and, and recreating outside than we did when I come on, and, and hopefully we're heading in that direction. 
Yeah. It, it is interesting. I think, uh, I think I've been with the department 14 years or 15 years and I've missed one and a half commission meetings. And the one I missed was for my wedding. Um, and to see that turnover and then to see and to realize it took me a few years to realize that when you get these new commissioners in, we're going to have to go over, um, some stuff that we've gone over in a lot of meetings, but they didn't get to hear it. You know, I could give, um, former licensing, uh, Supervisor Scott Simpson, I could give his beans in a jar for an elk drawing um, presentation. I could give that verbatim, even his pauses, because I've heard it so many times. But it's these things, like you said, the learning curve is, is big and, and it, it rotates every couple of years. You got new commissioners coming in. And I think there's a challenge with, especially now, what do we have two seats that are open um, to get those people, you know, they're they're smart and successful obviously and, and and know what they're doing and they get they get nominated and they get put on the commission to get them up to speed is is falls on staff but it also falls on you know you as a commissioner and and just to go hold on i mean you're going to be overwhelmed but but here's all the information and and uh hold on because we're moving forward and and we'll try to catch you up yeah it's it's rewarding and it's got its challenges. There's days that, you know, I probably haven't, uh, you know, there's a reason that I'm not the official uh, corresponder for the committee. <laughs> I've uh, probably got a little bit jaded in my legislative years on, on proper response time and, uh, you know, given it the 24 hour cooling off period. But, uh, you know, um, but, the, but at the same time, you know, there's a, my eyes have been open when somebody really, really feels passionate about something, you've got to take the time to listen to them, hear it out, and then, and then ask the right questions. You know, sometimes, uh, staff has, like you said, have answered those questions so many times in the past, they don't want to do it again, but it's, it's worth the exercise to, right. to get the right, that, that person that's paying, uh, you know, for access to the outdoors. Right. Right. Well, let's, you know, every meeting you get you get some fairly weighty weighty issues coming at you and and some more than others and and sometimes things kind of sneak up and we think ah this won't be too big of a deal but then sometimes they end up being a big deal and this one i think um we'll just talk about a specific issue once again i'm with uh gfp commissioner and longtime friend of mine russ olson from egan now madison right i almost said flandreau my gosh but uh (laughs) And I don't think Flander, <laughs> Flander wouldn't take you anymore. Nope. <laughs> Statute of limitations has got to run off on some of that stuff. I can go back to Siston. You can go back to Flander. <laughs> West side of the big seal. Right. But let's just talk about one specific issue. Um, and that's the pheasant season extension. Um, you know, that came up earlier in 2020 and, and we talked about it a little bit and we thought, oh, you know, I think people will be, be, you know, pretty much supportive of, supportive of this idea, but where did the idea come from? Do you remember us? Well, I'll tell you, you know, that's one of the ones, Chris, that as a sportsman, it, I didn't have access to, you know, the the guidance and the background and, and the data that our biologists have. Uh, I would have probably burnt the house down before I said it was a good idea to disturb, you know, roosters in the late season when there's, you know, terrible winter conditions and it's tough to forage for food and, and, you know, X, Y, Z, it just wouldn't have made sense to me. But, you know, if you take a look at, as we have, and the reason we made this decision, that the late, uh, and sex counts that, that we do and we drive, you know, 1,800 miles of uh, gravel roads and, and look at countless counties doing these surveys. We have multiple people going out. And and it fortunately, for one lucky rooster, you know, one rooster can, can do what needs to be done in the spring of the year for about 10 hens. Right. And so, you know, we didn't have those kind of odds when I was at USD. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, uh, right now, the last two years, our numbers have shown, you know, that we're seven to nine roosters for every 10 hens. And that's not good. We, we don't need that. You know, the, the way nature works in most cases is the males are more aggressive. And so if you have, uh, you know, a pile of corn uh, that, that's left in the field and there's six to eight roosters 
in a bunch of hens, the roosters, and run them off. They run them off to food, and then when it comes time to tuck yourself into bed at night when they fly back in, they get the best nesting spots, too, and they're not uh, to push those hens out. And, uh, you know, the last time I checked, uh, roosters don't lay eggs, so we need more hens in the spring than we do roosters. So when we had all that information laid out to us, the part where it gets tricky is we try to you know, we try to satisfy so many masters and try, you know, one of the thoughts was that early on to increase the limit to four during the season. And now that broke with tradition and this, that, and the other. We have other, you know, game uh, farm operators that had already contracted for pheasants and, you know, moving that to, to four for the limit would have, you know, whacked them on their profit margins for the year because they'd already contract out for those birds and those hunters aren't going to show up and say, well, it says that you can now shoot four. Why we only get to shoot three? And so that was some, some bad, you know, the bad part of public input there is that then everybody thought that, you know, in this late season, uh, that it's four roosters and it isn't it's still three roosters and, it, and it's a necessary, uh, component to managing our habitat. You know, all of these birds, uh, were are not native to South Dakota. They were brought here 101 years ago and are uh, released here. They've done well when we manage the population correctly and when we give them adequate habitat uh, for them. And one of the things, you know, if we're not going to create uh, more habitat overnight because we've lost a substantial amount of habitat uh, due to CRP coming out and going back into production, the one thing we can do is uh, better manage the actual population. And I think people will appreciate uh, the opportunities to have some late season pheasant hunting. A guy that has, you know, good dogs like you and I do, uh, you'd love digging them out of the snow and, and watching your dogs work and, and have the fun outdoors. Uh, does it mean that you're going to pound them every day of the week? I, I don't think that's happening, but I think that it gives, you know, us a, another chance for some of those non-residents to come back in and, and for our residents to enjoy late season hunting. And, and uh, for this year, holy cow, I mean, there's a couple of days here. You barely need a jacket in January. So I think that it's going to be a good month to really get out and enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, it, it's funny. I, I was back home in Siston and, and my uncle's an avid pheasant hunter. And he said, well, the good news is there's pheasants everywhere. He said, the bad news with this weather, they're literally everywhere. You know, they're not holed up in that late season, you know, cattail cover necessarily. Um, they're out scratching around in the fields in the middle of the day. And um, so it's been it's been an interesting first month or, you know, first January of this season. And, and I guess it kind of gets back to what what did you hear from the public? I know sometimes, you know, you get these issues and you're getting overrun. But what did you hear from the public on on that issue and, and how big of an influence is public input? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a, a good friend of mine that ranches over by Artesian, and we didn't talk until about a week before Christmas because of this issue. Right. I mean, we got a heated argument because, you know, he his opinion was that, geez, we're finally getting some good numbers back, and you guys want to go shoot them all. And that isn't the case. I tried to explain to him, and, and we just agreed not to, to talk anymore. So <laughs> three months without talking, and, and it really you get, you know, you run into somebody at a, at the grocery store or after church, and they want to give you your two cents, and and um, and it's always important. But I mean, the decision's already made. Um, I, I'm going to continue to back up the science behind the decision, and uh, I think that you know the the folks that run the gas stations and the coffee shops and the little bars and, and restaurants, some of these small towns where people are going back out and 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 getting uh, some pheasant hunting in the late season, they certainly appreciate it. I know there's, you know, it's that diehard group. Uh, just talked to a guy yesterday. He said, no, he said, pheasant hunting should end at Christmas. You know, you should spend Christmas with your family and it should be done. And, you know, that's his opinion. Nobody says you have to go out and do it. That's yeah. I told my land over by Artesian. I said, if you don't want to hunt late season, don't let people hunt your land. It's easy, mm -hmm. you know. But I think that, uh, you know, I've had other buddies that can't wait. And they want, you know, I know for a fact I've got two more hunts uh, scheduled uh, that that I plan on taking some buddies out. And we're going to, you know, three guys, three dogs, and three shells. And we're just going to kind of have a little uh, competition to see uh, whose dogs are the best, who's the best shot, and who can get the most birds with three shells. Right. That's, you know, it's interesting. You and I have had this discussion about um, public input and the amount of 
input and the way you get it. And, and I think, you know, I, I think that's one thing that the general public probably doesn't realize is just, you know, everybody wants to give that opinion and they should, because it's important in the process, but just the amount that, that a, just a commissioner gets on a month to month basis. And, and the, you know, this month it might be pheasants and next month it's copper fluted bullets. And that may be something that neither you or I could, could tell you anything about. Um, so yeah, you gotta be quick on your feet. Yeah. It's, you know, it, I've never changed my position by reading an email that says, what do you dumb SOB <laughs> think you're doing now? It's, it's all tact. And, you know, when we were, uh, Chris, when we were deciding how we, uh, we're going to change the deer allocation uh, uh, process for getting game tags in South Dakota. I mean, that is where, you know, it's family tradition and 50 years we've done it this way. And how dare you guys? And our the bottom line was to increase ape hunters' opportunity to get the preferred season they wanted. And nobody, it took a long time to say that to folks to get it. And I, you know, um, uh, deputy, uh, uh, director and our uh, uh, secretary, uh, Kevin Roebling, at the time, uh, he he lined up a meeting that he wanted me to go meet with, you know, 20, 30 guys and, that were really passionate about this and talk about it, and I agreed to do it, and I didn't realize he'd set the meeting up at a bar, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and they were still serving during the meeting, and, and that's when you really find out someone's true thoughts, but, but from that meeting, you know, we, you know, the easiest thing for me to do is tell you guys what you want to hear. Let's all be realistic. Something is going to change. There's the votes to change it today without compromise. And I'd probably be part of that. Tell me what we can do to make it better. And from that conversation is where we decided that we would let uh, people apply for special buck East and West River. And if they drew, it was one of their two. If right. they did, then it was a free bonus for them. And it was just that little bit of give and take that sometimes you have to find so that everybody leaves, you know, the true art of compromise is whenever they got hosed. Right. But, you know, I think that that was one of those instances where, you know, sitting in a room with 20, 30 guys that didn't agree with my position, we found common ground. And I think it's the program's better for it. Right. Is that, you think that's the toughest issue you've had to handle in your four years? No, I, well, I think that, you know, you, you list them. I mean, we, it was like we were looks, looking for fights. You know, we took on uh, non-meandered waters. Yeah. We've taken non-resident waterfowl. I mean, there's a another group that leads to, you know, probably one of my biggest concerns that maybe we can talk about before we wrap this up. But, you know, waterfowlers are very passionate in the state about, uh, you know, uh, their backyards being protected. And that was a, a tough one. I mean, you know, then with the deer allocation deal and uh, nest predator bounty uh, uh, program, I mean, we have had uh, our share of, you know, getting the ring and, and swinging out moments for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they've they've all kind of come back to back to back, and you know the waterfall thing is interesting, Russ. And I'm gonna let you go. We'll just tackle this a little bit. Uh, you know, coming from where I where I grew up in in Siston, I mean that was, you know, northeast South Dakota. You could probably put it up there with Stuttgart, Arkansas at times. You know, um, it's the the center, the mecca for for northern waterfall hunting in the United States. North Dakota would probably argue with that, but. Um, you know, to, to be able to hunt divers and mallards and geese and snow geese and everything. And, you know, I had the run of the place, just like you were talking about being from Egan and just being able to go and knock on a door and, and go out and hunt. And when I was in high school and even college, um, I could hunt pretty much anywhere I wanted to in Roberts County and a big chunk of Marshall County just by making a call and saying, hey, I'm going to be around. Is it okay? And for me now, um, you know, being in Pier 20-some years, that doesn't happen. I've got a couple landowner friends that are my best friends and I still can't even really hunt their place unless they go because they have other people that are either leasing or, or competing for it. And, and it's, it's tough. And it's one of those things that kind of keeps me ticking here at work is how do we work around that and how do we make, make those opportunities still exist, especially for waterfall hunters. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, as I've said, and I'll continue to say, I mean, my big deal is getting that next generation of of uh, kids involved with shooting sports. And we've seen a steady decrease every year 
football enthusiasts in our state. I mean, if you look at just small game licenses in South Dakota, have reduced by 48,000 since 2010. So in 10 years, we've lost 48,000 small game uh, license holders. You know, since 2016 alone, we've lost another $31,000 or 31,000 anglers. I mean, everything's on the decline, and it's a national trend. It's not new to just to South Dakota. Being fewer and fewer wa waterfowlers in the same regard, and, you know, there's a finite uh, amount of... of uh, opportunity there but there's an infinite amount of birds that are coming through they aren't our birds you know they're going to get shot at 10 more times before they get right. winter grounds and uh, we've got if we're going to continue to go at it this way i think that we're really digging ourselves into a hole we've got to find ways to get kids out there and and maybe that's not just kids from south dakota kids from other states too right yeah, I think the recruitment and retention and reactivation, I know we beat that into your head and we've had lots of conversations and it, it's kids and, and the generation of what we're calling kids, you know, the 20-some-year-olds that that never really did it and, and how do you hook, connect with those folks and stuff. That's that's of, of all the issues, the meandered waters and, and, and big game draws and um, that kind of stuff, that's the one that kind of keeps me up at night, but it also keeps me kind of going and pushing forward yeah so yeah it it's it, it certainly isn't you know when i again it's going back to one of your first questions if you think game fishing parks is just about uh birds and bucks there's so much more to it when you really get into habitat and conservation and uh parks and rec and 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 the water and and and, and then just combine all that up with just people that want to buy a license to drive through custer uh, state park during the bike rally. I mean, right. there's more to this operation and what it means to South Dakota than most people uh, will ever get their arms around. They can't appreciate it until you spend four years living it, I guess. Right, right, right. Well, Russ, I think I'm going to let you go. I know you got a ton of stuff to do. Uh, I appreciate the heck, it was almost an hour of your time. Um, and I guess I'll see you in a couple of weeks at the next round of commission meetings. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Chris. Thanks for having me on, and uh, hopefully uh, we can uh, do this again. I sure appreciate it. The hour went by, and maybe it won't for anybody that has to listen to it. <laughs> it went by faster. Well, I appreciate it, buddy, and uh, Happy New Year, and we'll see you soon. Okay, thanks. Thanks, bud. Bye. Bye. Thanks to my friend and Commissioner Russ Olson from Madison for joining us on today's podcast. Thanks for listening in, uh, trying to think of what we got going on um, in the next couple weeks. You should be aware of commission meeting end of January. Go to gfp.sd.gov and click on the commissions tab right up at the top. You can get the agenda, kind of what they're talking about, what they will be uh, discussing um, weigh in. There's a there's a button on how to share your opinions. Um, make it really easy now via Zoom uh, to link in, listen. If you want to comment, um, you're welcome to do that. Um, it's it's important. I think Russ conveyed that, and uh, you know it really is really is a big part of what they do. Um, thinking of stuff that's coming up. Oh, licenses expire January 31st. You need a new license uh, on February 1st. So don't forget that uh, if you're at it and you're in there poking around, uh, maybe you want to think about auto-renewing your license, which uh, will do that every year. You just put in all your information, your credit card and stuff, and on the 15th of December, you magically get your fishing combo or small game and trapping licenses if you want. Uh, Non-residents, I believe, can do fishing. So that's a cool uh, feature that we installed last year, um, keep you for from forgetting and being out there on February 2nd going, oh man, I needed to get my license, but something to think about. Also, um, ice fishing underway pretty much across the state, but there's sketchy ice out there. I broke through um, fishing a small pond in Northeast South Dakota and there was 
12 inches of ice once we got out there, but I got went in through my way up to my waist uh, along the edges because we've got some weird temperatures and and uh, stuff going on. I know in central South Dakota here in Pier, you know, there's five, six inches in places, but it's, you know, it's 50 degrees some days. So just be careful on the ice. Make sure people know where you're going. Have a phone wrapped up in a, in a Ziploc bag. Uh, carry ice picks with you. Let people know where you're going. I know ice fishermen like to keep secrets, but uh, at least let your family know where you're going and make sure you're safe. As always, if you got some topic ideas or anything for the podcast or you have an opinion on something, uh, reach out to me. Uh, email chris, C-H-R-I-S dot hull, H-U-L-L, at state dot S-D dot U-S. Um, you can put in the line, you know, podcast ideas or hey idiots or whatever you want, and I'll get back to you. Um, appreciate you listening, and uh, take care. And hey, just go outside. Go outside, fish, shoot a late season rooster, go for a hike in a park, go snowshoeing. Get outside. I guarantee it's going to make you feel better. I've been down blind, just best by without seeing how to me. Just best by without seeing by me Yeah.